0: Hello, and welcome to Relay Essay, a connected conversation about student affairs in Canada. I'm Adam Keewen. To explain the show's title a bit, the essay stands for Student Affairs, which, if you're listening to this, you likely already know what that means. And the relay part basically means that each person we interview will give us a few suggestions of who we should interview next. And as each person we interview tells us who to interview next, they pass along an imaginary baton, creating a connected relay of conversations. This is episode two. The relay is just getting started. Our first interview was with Ryerson's Jen Gonzalez, and she named a few awesome people that we should think about interviewing next. One of them is the incredibly talented Darren Fernandez, who currently works out in Vancouver at the University of British Columbia. I've got to warn you, even though the interview is great and Darren is perfect, the sound quality might not be the best given it was Relay Essays' first ever Skype interview. In any case, we caught up with Darren to chat about politics, UBC's unique advising model, his experience as caucus program chair, and avocado mousse. Wait for it. Adam, you doing? Who will you talk to today? It's yes, Oh, hi. Hi. Hi, Darren hi. Fernandez. How are you?
1: I'm well, thanks. And you, Adam?
0: I'm good. I'm so grateful that you found the time to chat with me over Skype on well, at least in Ontario, it's a beautiful, sunny day. What's it like out in BC?
1: Oh, it's, it's a balmy 11 degrees and with gray skies and showers. So oh, great. Just, just like any other Friday.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for agreeing to sit down with me for a few minutes. Um, I think I explained to you that the concept of this whole podcast... Uh, it's called Relay SA. So basically, we're interviewing folks who work in student affairs in Canada, and then we're asking them to suggest a few names of people who we should name or interview next. And so it's kind of passing this kind of virtual baton f- across the country a few times to chat with different people about what it's like to work in student affairs in Canada. And so our very first interview, Jen Gonzalez, named you as one of the people we should speak with.
1: Oh, Jen.
0: I know, right? So I'm so glad because I have so many questions for you.
1: Well, I hopefully I'll be able to answer it. Oh, yeah. I have to answer them, I should say. But
0: you'll be great. I guess the first one is kind of just maybe tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? how did you get started in student affairs? All the things.
1: All the things. Um, I I grew up in a little town just west of. Toronto called Mississauga.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and spent you know the first well it should, actually not the first like 14 years of my life there um, before I went to pursue my post secondary studies at Carlton University in Ottawa um, which is where I was probably first exposed to the the work of a student affairs professional when I started um, as a student staff member in Resident Life in my third no, second year and okay. um, which is where I progressed, I really started. That's where I started my career in student affairs. But it wasn't. I wasn't at a point where I thought that I could study or work in the field at that time. Right. I I was I was studying political science and communications, and actually ended up down a path where I worked on Parliament Hill in Ottawa, and I worked in in the UK Parliament for a number of years. Uh, both as a student and professionally for years after that. And I thought, you know, I was just going to be a policy guy um, that works in politics and got to go to really great receptions and got to work on really tight deadlines and never leave the office. Right, My dream, my dream really. <laughs> um, and then um, when when I um, finished uh, my time working in politics and I came back to Canada from the UK, I re-entered back into the world of student affairs through... Um, through the recruitment office at Carleton and was an on-campus recruiter for some time um, and then quickly moved back into my old office, like a first-year experience office at the university um, and worked in student development there and leadership and orientation programs and essentially became the person that I admired and uh, was my mentor for many years when I was a student. And uh, it, was, it was this odd full circleness, ness But uh, that's how I started off that's that's a bit of my story
0: and then what what was like what swept you out to Vancouver um
1: I like to I've told people that a flashing arrow is like (laughs) coming up to Vancouver go west Um, young man essentially um there came a point in in my time at Carlton which I I love my time there both as a student and as a professional staff member um where I was just like, you know, I, I need to know more. Um, I need to know more about this field. and want to know more. And I don't necessarily want to give up my, my interest in policy and in particular education policy. And so I, I decided to pursue uh, some further further education. So I applied to a few programs, many of which were very, like, policy-based in, right. in higher education to so some of the states and a couple in Canada and applied to this, like, what um, is sort of like mid, mid kind of like not paraprofessional not necessarily young professional odd middle of the road position in housing at, at UBC at the same time and then like one week in February I, w- I was actually um, coming back from some interviews at schools in the states and I got an email saying that I got into the grad program here and that they were going to give me some money uh, which was like oh, awesome that's, that's amazing great. that's uh, I just got, I just got back from NYU where I was told you know, I, I knew how much the tuition was, but there were some alums that were there or current students that were there that were explaining how they paid for their $26,000 a year tuition um, through taking out loans. Um, and then I got a, you know, an email from UBC saying, hey, come to UBC and your tuition is $4,700 and we're going to cover a good portion of it. And I was like, oh, God, this is, this is yes, I will gladly accept your offer. Right. And then a couple weeks later, I, I, I interviewed and got an offer for a res position. So it kind of just like, the flashing era was formed by those two things, like, you know, grad school, research assistantship and uh, this position as life. But it was like, yes, this this is this is it. The world is telling me uh, westward is the way to go.
0: And you've been there kind of ever since in a few different jobs at UBC, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. i moved around. Um you didn't if uh, frankly if, if i send my resume out to uh, people that didn't know me or didn't know of me i think they think i'm kind of sketch uh, <laughs> because it's eight months here eight months there and then you know there's long terms and the eight, it, it's it, I, i'm finding it more and more um that it's it's almost like this understanding among some schools in in canada that you have to kind of you enter in like a contract form, like of uh, an eight-month period. So not necessarily; no one will formally say they're trying to test you, right? Um, but but you know that it's a bit of a like. Well, you know, if you, you do well in the eight months, then something else will come up, and so that's kind of what happened to me. Um, and I'm grateful for it because I've been able to to work in different areas in this, you know, a small university, which has provided me with such great opportunity and experience and meeting so many different people. Um, so i think each each role despite some of them being quite unique from the last um has really helped me to better inform my work in, in the one that's to come or the one that followed so mm-hmm.
0: and so what's your what's your gig now because you're in enrollment services kind of as a associate registrar but you're a director of kind of a really interesting model that's pretty i think unique in canada so what do you do now Mm-hmm.
1: So I have uh, an amazing portfolio. Uh, I have the opportunity to oversee our our scholarships, awards, and financial aid programs at the university. In some cases, between our two campuses in the Okanagan and in, in Vancouver, um, and also uh, do some work on our recruiting side. And so, I our, our unit's called the Student Supporting and Advising Unit. And the uniqueness of the model you alluded to, Adam, is um, unlike. Uh, What's more commonly seen in what people refer to as a one-stop shop, where physical space is the determinant of a one-stop shop, mm-hmm. we've we've turned that one-stop shop into a person. Um, and so what that means is that every undergraduate student on our Vancouver campus, so approximately 39,000 students, um, have an assigned advisor. Um, not to assist with academic needs because that's managed by our our, um, our faculties uh, to help the course planning and they do so quite well, but with other navigational issues at an institution of their size but also around um, uh, financial matters, which is really the core of what we do. Right. And really emphasizing the fact that um, an individual's ability to pursue studies, um, academics in, in post secondary, is very much contingent on, on their financial situation. Mm-hmm. And so making sure that there's a very clear link between the two and one that's quite intentional is, is a core part of, of the work that our team does. But in so much of the work is also around relationship building because what we do is we're on the road recruiting our students. Um, they speak to us when they're, when they're um, applying to UBC and then when they come to campus. In many cases, if they've spoken to that same person on the road, they're assigned that person as their advisor and that person continues as their advisor throughout their full you know, four, five and in some cases six years of study uh, right through to graduation. So the opportunity to build a deep relationship um, with a professional staff member at an institution of this size is what our team's able to provide. And it's, it's probably it's my best job in my career so far.
0: That sounds amazing. And what an amazing way to provide like a touch point for students in such a okay. large institution. Mm-hmm. And how long has the model been in place?
1: We're in our fourth year right now. So, what's what's going to be really exciting for so many of our, our colleagues that started um, four years ago is their students will be graduating. Uh, oh, wow. And so given that we also steward much of the graduation process, uh, there's an opportunity to, for, for some of our, um, our staff to have a, probably quite a, a significant touchpoint with some of the students that they've worked so closely with over time. And so it's going to be a, a really lovely time come May um, and when we get to celebrate our, our graduating class, but also celebrate a full cycle of our, of our new system.
0: So then what would you say has been like some of the really strong successes of this model, but then also maybe looking forward to the next four years, what are some of the things that you might want to to look at or consider as you move forward? Mm-hmm.
1: It's forced um, the university to have really good, raw, intentional conversations about um, about money and, and academics, but also about how, um, as an institution of this size, we, we need to see things more from... Uh, from the perspective of a student, as opposed to a, a process, right. and it's not to say that the proce- that that was the case before, but I think it's emphasized the fact that when you when you put someone in a place, uh, a professional staff member in a place where they are building a close relationship with a student um, and learn about um, the struggles that may occur and may only come up through casual conversation um, more more than I think what you expect emerges, and so it's it's provided our unit an opportunity to um e- either be a, a lead in some of those conversations or help to guide it um with bringing in other stakeholders um and it's and i think far and beyond anything else it's allowed us to actually say that um you know i think that truly advising happens everywhere right um and we need to be open to that and that we can we can come up with a way in what could be considered a decentralized model at a large campus to still provide an intentional, uh, focused, developmental touch point for our students. Hmm. What's what's to come? That's that's a big question. We just completed a self-study of our, you know, we took a, a moment, step back and look at the last three and a bit years. and. Uh, what we need to grow in. And I, I think we have a lot of things that are right, but we need to do some tweaks. And I think the biggest opportunity that we have, and I'm not, I'm not sure if you see this at your institution given its size as well, is um, we had a faculty member on the committee, and their um, sharing with us was just I mean, the other six members were great too, but their sharing with us was just so impactful on me. Uh, to realize that they wish to be empowered just as much as we empower other professional staff right. to, to, to you know, cross-refer, to um, share basic advising information so that they can carry the story forward too. Um, so we're, we're trying to be a bit more intentional with how we work with faculty members and how they inform our work, so and how they inform how we design our work programs and how, we, how, how they inform how we um, provide financial aid to our our undergraduate and graduate student population. Um, So I I think our work more closely with faculty members is what's what's on the horizon for us. We also have um, a great and deep desire to ensure that um, our award winners, both those that are receiving awards just for merit, but also those that that we're bringing to this campus because they are both meritorious, but have deep financial need. Are well supported, right? Um, because it, it, we would do such a disservice to our to our students across.
0: Hello, Darren. Hello, Adam. Are you there? Oh, we're back. I can. Hear I don't you. know
1: what. You can hear me? I don't know what just happened. My computer just turned off.
0: I don't know. Maybe a plane flew overhead or something. I don't know. Likely, likely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But uh, (laughs) it's a good good break in the (laughs) conversation. That we would do such a disservice to our students if we were selling them a false product. If we were to tell a student, you know, you're going to come, we're going to offer you this award to come to UBC um, and here's the money, come and do it, and then not... Support them along the way. Um, it's they're not going to have a good experience. We know that that their odds of being successful will will drop if we don't do good stewardship. So we're we'll be we're asking ourselves the questions of you know what does it mean for us to bring a student from um, rural BC to UBC who is academically meritorious to come here but may not have the financial means and may not actually think that UBC is an option because of distance. Right. Um, And how do we support them should they wish to go home? And all those other really big, meaty questions that can be really uncomfortable to be asking but are so, so important.
0: Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think at a lot of institutions, the recruitment doesn't really connect closely with the folks who are kind of on on the student affairs or even on the faculty side. It's kind of the promise. And then it's up to everyone else to do the delivering. And so it sounds like you guys are really closing that gap
1: we're doing our we're doing our best to do so and in many cases I mean like a part of it is still achieving targets right like, we still need you know bums in our seats right um, uh, but at the same time um, we want to make sure that the people that are coming to our school a feel as though they should be here like they're they're like feeling a sense of belonging and connectedness to the institution so core to what we talk about on our recruitment visits like we we, we will walk into a school and say um, me being there is one level of you engaging with the institution, but you actually coming to our campus and saying to yourself, yes, I, I can see myself here, I can feel myself here, is what we think is more important. Right. Um, because if they if they even have that inkling at one point, we can build off of that and and grow it at a deeper level when they actually get here by the work they're doing. So we're very lucky that um, our school has put some intention behind that and has recognized that to be
0: and what do you think your background in, like in poli-sci and communications, um, what do you think that contributes to how you move through your role at UBC? Uh, so
1: Adam, I think I've told many people many a times that I, I navigate political waters more in post-secondary than when I did when I worked in the Parliament of Canada or the Parliament of the United Kingdom. <laughs> So I I think it's allowed me to actually realize you know it's it's my my undergrad in policy and communications and my background in working in politics has reminded me of the importance of relationships and uh, collaboration and and give and take <laughs> and patience I can go on if you want um <laughs> it, it, it's it's reminded me that. Um, that reciprocity is so important in our work um, and whether it's just a feeling or whether it's actual like an exchange of other things um, <laughs> reciprocity drives a lot
0: yeah of course um, it,
1: my, my background in policy has helped me with with some of the nature of the work that we do we're so, our work is so connected to policy we're guided by uh, much more than I think most other units on a on a campus, because we're we're informed by institutional policy, but we're also heavily guided by governmental policy. Right, um, and it's governmental policy being out of our hands um, requires our um, us to be quite uh, we our, our level of interpretation for governmental policy is much less than for institutional policy. And so, uh, ensuring that we're able to apply a certain level of fairness um, in our work, but also not uh, ensuring that we're providing uh, a unique and uh, different experience for each student, taking into context as well, is, is both uh, is challenging but also um, important.
0: Most definitely. So, I want to shift gears away from UBC for a second, mm-hmm. um, but not entirely, because it's about last year's caucus conference, which was in in Vancouver. Um, of which you were the program chair, which is a really big deal. Um, so I just wanted to know what were some of the highlights of your experience as the caucus conference program chair?
1: Mm. Um, I got work with amazing folks over Skype and conference calls and, <laughs> um, keeping with the trouble that we've had today with, with, with this product um, it it can be really stressful and frustrating, but uh, to have a, a, a national committee, folks that were out in in Nova Scotia all the way up to here, um, who were so engaged and committed to building something for um, their community, uh, was just was just so refreshing. It 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 was tiring, um, but it was uh, one of the one of my highlights from last year. Um, primarily because we just returned back to a reminder that this was in service to our peers. Um, right. Like, we, what we were doing was not for ourselves, and I think this is pretty consistent. I don't want to speak on other people's behalf, but it, I, think it's, I think others would say it too, that when, when we would put our heart and soul into this work, uh, like in some cases on a daily basis, it wasn't because we wanted to, to say that we did it, it was because we knew that we were going to have like 700 people who were relying on us and building the best that they can that we could build for them, right? Um, and to help grow and serve our organization as a whole, and so that that was the driving force. And that, that was never said, but that was so that was felt so much. And so, you know, you would go through, you would have a very long day working on some element of the conference and you would walk away, and be, potentially I'll admit to cursing a couple times. Um, but then you'd be reminded as to why you were doing what you're doing, and then it just all kind of rolled away. And so, I, working with such a strong committee um, was was truly a highlight of the conference. And then having so many folks attend who were who were um, first time attendees that right. just that just got me going. Um, primarily because that speaks to our ability to uh, to really build and grow our field in this country, and hopefully our ability to to take those people under. You know, like the old phobies like you and me on our wings um, to bring them through and steward them through um, what it means to be a great student affairs practitioner in this country.
0: Mm. That that is compelling. That's so exciting. Having been on one of the programming committees, um, I know how much work it is, but also the coordination of so many ideas and so many people and it's, yeah, you're right, sometimes it's over conference calls and, and Skype so that can be awkward as well, but as a person who attended the conference, it was so strong. The programming was so strong, um, and it was such a meaningful learning experience for so many people. Um, what were what was the highlight for you as, as someone who was kind of steering the ship in a way?
1: Um, ooh, I, I would say the diversity of our program. I think we had a, a very diverse program, uh, one that I think allowed for... Um, both new professional and our senior student affairs officers would like to, to find a place within it, which was, which was nice. We got to highlight um, you know, my, my current home on Vancouver, which was also lovely, um, and, and also bring in folks that reflect that home with our, with our opening keynote. Um, he, he really painted a picture of, of what community could be like for our field and what, it, what it's like within BC. Um, which was just great.
0: Um, and if you could do anything differently, is there anything looking back? Would you, would you have done anything differently with the conference? Um,
1: I think I would have tried to find a way to, uh, to more intentionally support our first-timers. Right. Um, I, think, I, I don't think any of us were expecting our, that sort of response. Uh, from our first timers, and I think we could have done a better job in in supporting. But that's that's a hindsight
0: thing. Well, yeah. I also think it's something that um, I think a lot of the pressure for that goes onto the conference because that's our in person touch point. Mm-hmm. But I think as an organization and broadly as a field, that's something we could be more thoughtful around. Is how do we have a warm welcome for people who are just finding their feet or wanting to engage in the field professionally? Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, did you so? from your kind of like bird's eye view from both the conference and kind of the organization of, um, the annual convention, the conference, did you have any observations about the field in Canada or any lessons learned that you're like, Oh, any reflections on how things are going for us?
1: It, it may have not come out of, uh, the conference uh, in particular, but I would say since, um, as a, as a field in, in this country, um, Actually, let me back up. I went to a conference in uh, in Hollywood, Florida, in all. Like, oh, I know how exotic. I'm <laughs> um, a total resort town in Florida, between Fort Lauderdale and Miami. Um, about 700 people. Uh, U.S. primary-based organization that was hosting it. Uh, about 50 Canadians there. Okay. And. What I was reminded at at that conference was two two things. One that I think that well both I think we need to talk about more in this country, and then one that I've already talked about already in our conversation, and that was uh, being the agent of faculty in our work. Right. Uh, members of the of academia need to be more closely connected to I think how we do what we do, whether it be a um, uh, you know some people could view it to be a buy in thing, um, other people would view it and I would view it to be as an opportunity to better inform how how we do what we do mm-hmm. um, and educate others and the second thing is we need to write more we need to contribute to the literature um, we need to somehow talk about the good stuff that we do that's informed by so much um, so that so that we can also find our place and I think we're I think in Canada we're we're not um I think we I think we have a presence in, in like, a, let's say, a global student affairs context, but it's not as strong as I think it could be, and I think a part of that is we don't tell our story well. Mm. Uh,
0: there,
1: that may be a Canadian modesty thing. Um, I'm going to use that as an excuse, but I also think that in many cases, none of us have time um, to right. do it, um, and I think that's that's the most common response. I went to a conference and I turned to my boss and was like, "Case." We need to talk about this, this, and this. And she's like, Great, yeah. When? And I was like, Yeah, fair enough. And she's like, I totally agree with you, but we need to we need to be clear and intentional about it and not try and do it off the side of our desk because then we won't produce the best thing that it is. The best thing that it is. But so I don't know how to do it, but I think that we need to to wait on in this country and and give ourselves a presence in 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 the academic world.
0: Mm-hmm. I really and truly agree. Um so my last kind of... Before we get to the rapid-fire question... Oh, which I'm so scared of. Oh, you'll, you're going to be fine. Um, I would say if anyone met you or knew you, they would probably see you as like a very polished person. You're very professional. You're always very well-dressed. And you kind of have your shit together for the most part. I was wondering if you would be willing to share any time that there might have been like a misstep or an embarrassing moment or a failure because... One of my things with this podcast is um, I think sometimes we put people on pedestals and we forget about the times where we, we all may have stumbled. Um, and so I'm also trying to create a space where we can talk honestly and openly about some of the times where maybe it wasn't always so graceful and elegant and put together. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any stories, maybe professionally, that would be uh, uh, safe to, to share? Do I have
1: stories? Let's... let uh, <laughs> It's it's safe to share, right? We want to make sure this isn't a career limiting move for Darren.
0: Well, and um, this podcast literally has millions of listeners. So I know, to... I know. Um,
1: my the, the lesson that I share the most with, I think, with with people, uh, with either our professional colleagues or any students that I do around communications or or people engagement, is um, the proper use of a blind carbon copy. Um, mm. And and the reason, so that I'll give you two examples. Um, one that I that I is probably like a it's a good professional lesson to learn, I think. And you know, I'm not going to say what lessons you will learn, but I think people will, will know the lessons to learn. Is I was in a in a in a role um, where uh, I learned that my position was changing because uh, somebody. Uh, included me on an email through a BCC as I think a courtesy but um, shouldn't have because it alluded to organizational changes that were occurring in our, in our unit that was going to impact me and so uh, the BCC in that context I'm sure you can read into what learning could occur on all levels right for me right. for the person who started that communication all that sort of stuff the BCC. Um, and for me personally, I have made some mistakes where I've been BCC'd on something and then replied all. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's, it sounds like it's a simple thing, but my gosh, that was, that, that resulted in other conversations and ones that, that, you know, you think you're past in your life. Um, but I don't think you ever do pass by, and so it's probably like the most simple lesson that I do tell people where I no longer use BCC, and in fact, I actually don't write people's email address into, into the into the to or the CC column until I'm done writing the body of the email just so I know what I'm going to send, because in that moment, when I replied on, I didn't realize what was going on. I didn't realize that I was BCC. Right. <laughs> I didn't think about it. Oh, my. Uh, I know. And it went to a bunch of people that probably shouldn't have heard the flippin' language that I used. Well,
0: I, I know that you and a team are working on kind of the student affairs competencies project. So I think maybe we can add like your ability to effectively work over conference calls and Skype. Um, as well as how to navigate a reply all or a BCC to that competency mm-hmm. framework. Let's make sure that that's in there somewhere.
1: We'll try and we great.
0: <laughs> Amazing. I think everyone who might be listening has had an embarrassing BCC or reply all. Okay. Oh, every time I get something on a listserv, there's always someone <laughs> who's going to reply same. all. Um, I've been that person before. It's not good.
1: And frankly, you know, on on Sundays, I'll admit to when those emails come through, I do try to kind of put them into a folder. And when I'm not having a great day, I pull them up again and have a good one. Amazing. Yeah.
0: Huh? Um. All right, I've got some rapid fire questions that I came up with today. Oh God. Are you ready? No. Nope. Some of them are just kind of quick answers and some of them are kind of like, some of them are a bit funny, I think. The first one is, if you Google Darren Fernandez, one of the pictures come that comes up is you looking really happy to be putting a coin in a piggy bank. What is that about? That was
1: for a QBC poll around finances and and uh, it's it, I, I hate it but um,
0: it's adorable it's,
1: it, thank you my team tends to use it whenever they do presentations that they know that I'm going to show up at and so <laughs> I'll, they'll, they'll place it awkwardly in the presentation slide deck and so I'm sitting there and all of a sudden it'll pop up it's great
0: I think when we end up promoting this this uh, this podcast I'm going to use that photo for this particular episode cheers I <laughs> Um, if you were to come into several millions of dollars and made the decision to donate money to an uh, institution of higher education, what, and you had to pick what kind of building it would be, what would it be? What would the building be? Yeah, what would the building be?
1: Uh, it, okay, um, it would be a multifunctional space mm-hmm. that has both, that has uh, retail space for like athletics or like some sort of like gym-like space um, and that with with a food outlet of some sort, and I get to choose the food outlet, obviously, um, and uh, the rest of the building would be um, either for, for students to be studying or lounging in or, um, and uh, s- student services in the, in the most broadest sense of the term.
0: Okay. With, so with,
1: with oh, I've, I've thought about this before. <laughs> uh, with a dedicated space for um, for uh, award like scholars, um, okay. so that uh, we can we can do intentional work around um, supporting those uh, with uh, yeah, supporting our scholars.
0: Well, and kind of a value added. So in addition to some of the awards, it's also kind cool. of like a a special spot for them. Totally. So the Darren Fernandez Multipurpose Student Support Scholars Lounge and Athletic Apparel Centre.
1: Essentially. Now, come up with the acronym for that, and that'll be most, <laughs> <laughs>
0: most Canadian
1: post-secondary thing to do.
0: Amazing. Um, what was the last book you read?
1: Oh, I just finished it on the bus. I can pull it out. Give me a second. If I Fall, If I Die uh, by Michael Christie. And it was uh, good? It was really good. Um, it it was. Uh, some people could say that it was kind of like um, Emma Donahue's *The Like Room*, okay. uh, but uh, but also quite so different. So I don't know why I even said that. Uh, <laughs> it's just a really good read. It's a Canadian author um, has received much acclaim from from around the world, but also locally, and um, he's a gem. It's a
0: nice. great book. Yeah. What's the best meal you've ever had? Oh. Uh, I think my mother would
1: kill me if I didn't say something she made. Uh, the, okay. best meal, the best meal, the best meal outside meals. of
0: family and outside of
1: family and mom meals, the best meal I ever had in the last six months is having to qualify that further, Adam. Thank you. Uh, um, is in uh, Tofino, British Columbia, um, and I I have to tell you all the delicious things that I had. And I want to actually tell you what the name of the restaurant was. The Wolf in the Fog. The Wolf in the Fog is what the name of the restaurant. It was unbelievable. Like uh, my favorite, I'll tell you one of the favorite things that I had that night, one of the multiple favorite things that I had that night was uh, this oyster from a local island on the BC coast um, that was wrapped uh, in in like a very thin potato. um, And then obviously deep fried um, with an avocado mousse. Um, and uh, corn salsa, and so you like you'd pick up the deep fried uh, oyster that was wrapped in potato, and you like swish it around the avocado mousse. Um, maybe put a couple of sprinkles of corn on it, and then you just have a hole. It was delicious. Whoa! I know. Just just one of the favorite things I had that menu. Whoa! I don't actually think, Adam, that you would be able to eat anything on that menu, but it was just so good.
0: Well, even as a vegetarian, I can appreciate how delicious that sounds. Mm-hmm. You had me at avocado mousse. Right. <laughs> right. Um If you could go back and speak to fourth-year Darren, would you? What would you tell him if anything? Um,
1: say yes more often. Okay. Um, I I'm a very uh, I've always been a very cautious and calculated person, and I think sometimes my my guesses uh, come from overthinking situations. Right. Um, and I think if I were to just say I just have said yes more often, more and maybe a bit quicker, um, I I think I would have probably enjoyed things a bit. Better. I think it would have made very similar decisions to what I've made already,
0: but I think my enjoyment level would just much higher. Okay. So. My last question is, of course, you know, the whole point of this is that whoever we interview gets to give us a few suggestions of who we should try to interview next. So, mm-hmm. um, and the only qualifier is that they are connected to the work of student affairs in Canada. So who, what are a few names of people who you think I should uh, try to Skype with next?
1: Um, Christine Adam from Thompson Rivers University. Okay. She's the dean of students um, and an amazing human being.
0: I have a big Twitter crush on her, so this is going to be great for me.
1: <laughs> great. Excellent. <laughs> um, a, a dear friend of mine who works at the University of Calgary, Erin Kaipanen. Oh, Erin. Right? Um, so I, she has just an exceptional story and is such a good person that I think would, um, would love to, to, to share. Um, and I can I can I just offer two? Is that, can I do two? Yeah, no, that's perfect. I think that's two. That's two that I'll
0: do. That's great. No, that's that's perfect. And and I um will try to connect with them and see about um scheduling a time to interview them whenever I get a chance.
1: Awesome.
0: Um, and is there anything in particular that I should ask them about? I mean, you mentioned Aaron has like a pretty interesting story, so maybe we can follow up with that. Anything I should be asking them? Um,
1: you. Talked to Christine about the time when she was on sabbatical for a year and um, sold her home in Ottawa and took her kids on a cross North America road trip.
0: Whoa! Okay, that's that's something that she that she to talk about That's amazing. I know. Um, all right. Well, I'm just so appreciative of your time and your patience as we were trying to sort out this Skype business and also your willingness to participate in this interview. I know it's kind of a weird new thing, but I'm just so excited that you're a part of it um, in our first few steps.
1: I'm honored to be asked to
0: participate. So thank you. Oh, of course. All right. Thank you so much, Darren. Enjoy your, enjoy your beautiful day in BC. Cheers. Thank you. Have a good weekend. You too. So there it is. Our conversation with Darren Fernandez. I hope you liked it. Thank you for listening all the way through, especially with our suboptimal sound quality. Hopefully we can get better at it so that we can interview more and more people from across this great country. If you're looking to connect with Darren on Twitter, you can find him at at Darren Fernandez, D-A-R-R-A-N-F-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z. And if you have any thoughts, ideas, or feedback, please don't hesitate to contact me as well. You can find me. My handle is at Adam Kuhn, A-D-A-M-K-U-H-N. Mo is looking for suggestions on who to interview next, so don't be shy. Also, please help us spread the word by telling your friends and colleagues about this podcast. The theme music for Relay Essay is by the exceedingly talented Adrian Ross. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, bye for now.